98.7 WNNS, the morning routine with Rocky and Sarah. Rocky, I am so excited today. We have got Mercedes in studio, Program Director of Central Illinois Outpatient for Gateway. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so for someone who doesn't know about Gateway, tell us a little bit about it. So Gateway Foundation is the state's largest provider of substance use and co-occurring mental health disorders in Illinois. So we have several different programs where we do residential treatment, we do partial hospitalization, we do outpatient uh, medicated assisted treatment. So our our goal is to reduce substance use and you know develop a quality of life for those that have substance use issues. And along with that goes with mental health as well. Yeah. Why did you get into it? Can I ask? Go to the origin story, which yeah, I love so much. Absolutely. So um, I'm in recovery myself. I have no qualms about saying that or sharing that. It's part of my story. My sobriety birth date is seven eleven of two thousand four. So I like to say that I shot crap and one. So I'm coming up on 19 years clean and sober. And when I went to treatment, there was a counselor there that changed my life. And I knew from that point on, that was the direction that I wanted to go to. I wanted to be a person that could be a vehicle for change and someone that would, you know, care for me when I didn't care for myself and love me when I didn't love myself and provide me the support and the resources. And so she did that for me. And so it's been um, a pleasure of mine to continue to do that. You know, I say it all the time. I can't believe they pay me to do what I do. I love yeah. what I do every day. But, you know, my own personal journey is definitely what what brought me here to Gateway. And I'm I'm grateful for it. Does that happen a lot? People who, um, you know, are in recovery, they kind of, I don't know if it's like an, oh, my life to the, like, you know, does that happen where people yeah, go into? Yeah, so we see that a lot, you know, where there's, um, you know, we have clients that come in and say, this is what I want to do. You know, this is, this is a calling for me. I want to change people's lives. And I think there's a lot to do with the lived experience. You know, you don't always have to have a master's degree or any kind of degree to want to help and change people. If you have passion and compassion for the population that we serve, bring that with you and we can do that. But yeah, there's a lot of people that we have that, you know, have lived experience um, because they want to give back. We call it in a 12 step program, you know, giving back what was so freely given to you, you know, wanting to pay it forward, so to speak. Can I ask you about your personal experience when you went to Gateway? Because, you know, thinking about it, there's got to be a lot of fear. There has to be a lot of shame for somebody to walk through those doors and say, I'm broken. I need help. Whether it's fear that you won't be able to do it anymore or fear that, you know, your entire life is going to change, whatever it is. I would love to maybe get some insight from your experience, if you mind. Yeah, so fear is definitely a factor, and I think it comes in many forms, like you said, you know, fear of failure. What about also fear of success? You know, how is my life going to change if I do make these changes? You know, what's my job going to say? What's my family going to say? You know, as people with substance use disorders, we think that sometimes we're so sneaky and that nobody knows. And, you know, well, if I go to treatment, then they'll all know when it turns out we all knew anyway. Right. Um, But like you said, having that support system that's behind you. um, And a lot of times, you know, we have burned a lot of bridges. And sometimes, you know, going to somewhere like treatment is the only place that you have left where, you know, there is somebody that's going to care for you and support you and want you to to do your best to be your best self. Fear is is a false illusion. You know, we can be fearful of so many things and getting clean, getting sober and having this road to recovery doesn't have to be fearful. It can be very empowering and it's life-changing in a positive way. So, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, by coming out and talking to radio stations and whatnot is we want to reduce that stigma. We've come a long way since I came into treatment about what substance use was, that it was a dirty, nasty 
thing, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And there was stigmatized populations, um, you know, 20 years ago when I started getting clean and sober to where we are now, to where we have identified that it is, in fact, a brain disease. Yeah, It's not something that, you know, when little Jimmy gets up on the pedestal in in kindergarten and says, I want to be an alcoholic when I grow up and Tommy wants to be (laughs) a pilot, right? Right. So, you know, there's also the, you know, the factors that come into it, the biological, the socio, you know, economical, all of that stuff that that come into it. But nobody would want to have that be their life where they're all consumed and their family and friends and money and housing and all of that stuff is. So it's a brain disease. So I think it's really important to educate, to get that, to get rid of that fear of what will they think. Well, hopefully by, you know, educating people, we get them to think that this is a sick person trying to get well, yeah. not an addict or an alcoholic that can't figure it out on their own and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get into treatment. Yeah. So that's why, you know, I'm a big proponent of education and sharing the message that it's a brain disease, you know? Wow. Well, it is the disease. I mean, I've heard the disease concept, but that to me means that there are well other things in play but i i definitely i mean i agree it's 100 percent takes over everything everything mm-hmm. your thoughts your manners mannerisms your day-to-day everything and to be able to take control back and know that gateway's right around the corner is a pretty empowering thing and i just want to make sure that people really feel okay do you remember walking through the doors do you remember the day um i do and it was actually it was Triangle Center when I went, okay. um, which is in Jacksonville. It was Triangle when I went, which is now obviously it's Gateway now. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of fear. Um, all eyes on you. My family was about done with me. Um, did you and it drive was, by yourself? Or did no. You go <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, my family. There's a history of you know alcoholism in my family yeah. and. Rest in peace. My uncle Kevin, as a matter of fact, and he would not be upset that I was sharing this. He was the one that I called and said, I need to go to treatment. And so um, we were in his garage drinking a beer and he said, I will take you, but I'm not walking in because they might keep me too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, because he was inebriated, right? Right. So, um, you know, there was a a little bit of comfort there, but going in, um, you know, and again, back then it was more of a sterile environment, like a hospital setting. And which who, who, everybody loves that, right? Right. I love going to that. So comforting, so welcoming, you know, throw your clothes here. Yeah, yeah, it was freezing cold, you know, um, the, brick walls that had been painted, you know, 15 different kinds of gray and blue. And yeah. so it was very scary, you know, yeah. and having, um, you know, a friendly face that comes up and, you know, that wants to talk to you when you're, you know, for me, it was just feeling at your lowest point possible, Yeah, you know, and it was really the only option that I had because I just didn't want to die. Yeah. You know? When the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, you will change. Yeah. And um, that's something that, you know, I felt very akin to was that. I just can't stay this way anymore. Something's got to be better than this. And desperation is a great motivator for a lot of people. What would you say to someone who is currently struggling right now that's thinking about maybe going through that same process and wants to get better, but, you know, is afraid of that fear, that guilt, that shame? What would you say to them? I would say that, you know what, that is a great place to start because at least you're thinking about it, right? You know, you don't have to make a decision, but if you're thinking about something that you can at least, it's a fact finding you know, a journey that you want to be on. If you're thinking about it, call. We have a 24-hour hotline that you can call. 
talk to family, talk to friends. Is there people there that are around you that, you know, maybe they have noticed, maybe they've reached out, you know, if if they have reached out to you and you've kind of poo-pooed it on the past, you know, reach back out to them. Are they still open and receptive to helping you, you know, um, do your own research, right? Um, you know, you can get on our website and look up the, you know, what the disease looks like, what treatment options are available. Um, you know, do a self-assessment quiz, you know, do I, am I an alcoholic? Am I an addict? You know, we've got the internet at our fingertips and we can self-assess all the things that we want, but you know, being in that, um, fresh mind, you know, that beginner's mind of, Hey, maybe it's an issue. That's a great place to start because at least you've moved past a little bit of that denial, which is a big barrier. For somebody going through something, um, no matter what the substance is, let's use drinking as an example, just because it's a legal thing to do. You know, it's funny. It can creep up, becomes a problem before you even know it. Mm -hmm. You know, are there kind of signs for people to be self-aware about that? You know, if this is happening, if I'm doing this, maybe it's time because I I like the fact that, you know, hopefully people can go before they get to rock bottom. But it does take being self-aware, knowing what you're going through and then having that want to do it. Yeah, I think, you know, that self-awareness and being mindful, you know, if that's something that you want to look for. But what are some of the changes? And you like you said, they creep up so slowly and, you know, alcohol can be so normalized in whether it be our family, our social, whatever it may be that, well, you know, every Sunday we all do this together or we all drink wine or when I was a kid growing up, this is what we always did. So it's normalized. So it doesn't seem different. Yeah. Right. But if it was coming from an outside perspective, it would look different from somebody else. Um but is it interfering with your relationships with your kids? Are you not going to their games or are you leaving early or staying later at work or, you know, going, you know, stopping at a bar on the way home? Or are you waiting until, you know, kids or wife or husband goes to bed and then you drink? Are you spending more on it? Are you calling in more? You know, are you starting to have more of the physical symptoms? Are you sick more? Have you lost weight? Right. Have you is your blood pressure going up? There's so many different things that you know may independently seem like it's not a big deal but if you can look at the bigger picture and say well you know I've lost weight my blood pressure has gone up and now I'm pre-diabetic and you know is this a medical thing or is this a symptom of me drinking you know or I'm constantly fighting with my significant other and you know I'm coming home later I've been you know laid off from work and I can't seem to keep a job is this you know, what are the patterns and is my alcohol use, if that's what we're using, is that what's affecting it? Because yeah. it can it can creep up so slowly that you don't know it. It's like, you know, same thing like with, with weight gain, right? Like, oh, it's just a little bit here. And then if you look back, you know, at a period of 12 months and you've put on 25 pounds, but it was a pound here and a pound there. And then here you are with this big problem that you've got to deal with, you know, again, having those resources and knowing where to go for support. And you can see those patterns, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but when you can see those patterns, you know, you can at least for the next time, you know, if you go into recovery, you go on a diet or you decide, you know, that you want to get sober and you can do this, you know, what are those things that led you up to it before it's preventative maintenance. So it doesn't happen again. Relapse. Uh, I love my therapist. Uh, she sees a therapist and that's something important. Every good therapist needs a therapist. Yes, because, um, you have to know what's going on with yourself. And if you're not even attempting to look, that to me is a, a problem. Well, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. You just don't know what you don't know. And that's part of, 
you know, when we do treatment, it's it, the drugs and alcohol are not the problem. They're the solution to the problem. Right. And that goes to what we were talking about earlier with the mental health. But you don't know that you have mental health issues if you don't know what a mental health issue is. Right. You know, we have clients that come in and don't don't understand what depression is don't understand what anxiety is. I just, I thought I was nervous a lot or I just, you know, my whole family was sad all the time. They don't understand that it's a chemical imbalance of the brain, you know, that has been affected and increased by substances. But if you don't know what it is, you can't address it. Like I wouldn't just walk into Memorial and say, hey, give me some chemotherapy, right? Right. If I don't know what I have been diagnosed with, I may not need chemotherapy. It may just be like, oh, you're just a hypochondriac. You know, there's nothing wrong with you, but we can't address what we don't know is there. So again, to your point is, you know, what would I say to somebody is that you're on a fact-finding mission, you know, the awareness of maybe this is something and then get your information from there and do your own research, you know, and your family and friends, they're going to be a big resource for you too. Your coworkers, your colleagues, you know, you've been not doing your work or showing up late or, you know, when it comes to just, you know, mental health, maybe not just the substance use, like you're, behind on deadlines or your tasks aren't getting done or you're detail oriented and this is not what we're seeing it's not what's presenting and so maybe these are some things because again we may not be the first visionaries of what's going on with us right because that could be our own internal mechanism of denial that nothing's wrong with me nobody else sees it but getting that outside perspective from somebody else that is in our system that knows us and they can say Hey, you know, I've noticed these changes in you. That's always a great resource is that is that support that you have. Now, one thing I love about you guys is that you do consultations, right? Absolutely. And that's a great way for people if you're self-aware and if you're questioning, you know, hey, maybe I do have something going on. I can walk in, talk to somebody and they'll be able to help me understand that, right? Yes. It always starts with a phone call. You know, we'll do a phone screening. And if there's, you know, further conversation that's warranted, we do an assessment. We do a comprehensive assessment where we go through your diagnostic assessment through, you know, your substance use, the American Society of Addiction Medicine. We go through that criteria. We get a full health history, you know, because there could be these, you know, other things that are contributing to this. Um, and, you know, your your mental health history and say, you know, again, it's it's a we're looking for patterns. Right. And then that also comes from genetic, your family history, you know, your medical history, whatever it may be. And from there, we kind of narrow it down because, you know, treatment is um, individualized. It's not cookie cutter. Right. So we could have somebody that comes in that is, you know, diagnosed with alcohol use disorder and depression. And then we have the next person that comes in that's got PTSD and methamphetamine use, you know, anxiety and opiate disorder. So we can't do a cookie cutter treatment. So we have to have that thorough assessment so we can identify What are the best practices? What are the best resources and what are the best options that we can give to this patient so we can give them the best care? And part of that is a thorough assessment. What about food? Do you do you work? I love food. Thank you for asking. (laughs) It's delicious. It's great. I got cheesecake when Uh, I came in. (laughs) Do you work with people who have eating disorders or food? You know, we don't necessarily address that where we're at, but we do understand that that is just like any other disease. It is a disease of the brain. It is, you know, you can have compulsive overeating, you can have binging and purging. can have the restricting type and which is 
about control. And again, it's about, you know, the emotions and the underlying issues. Why do you feel that you need to do that? Or what is going on where you have this body dysmorphia where, you know, you and I can look at somebody and think that they're beautiful and perfect. And then that person on the inside sees themselves not as that. So, you know, it, it it's all related, mm-hmm. but it's not something that we specifically address that we have a track to do that here at our gateway. No. Well, and let me say too, at least the gateway uh, here in Springfield, I got a chance to tour it. Oh, excellent. And it's beautiful. Yes, it is, yes. Their facilities are beautiful. I, I mean, I made a bad joke. I was like, what do I have to do to get in here? Right. Because right. Uh, I was talking with uh, Karen and she was like, we, we were in the um, kitchen and I was like, this food looks fantastic. You know what I mean? Right. It's such a great setup you guys have. Well, that's just one less thing they have to worry about, right? So when you come in and you want to have um, a nice environment, a clean environment, sometimes people don't have that, you know, and it's one less thing to worry about that you're going to have a, a clean bed, clean sheets, a clean environment, you know, toiletries, a shower, food, right? Because some of those things, when we are deep in our addiction and our alcoholism, they are not first and foremost on our list of things to take care of right. is, you know, giving ourselves healthy meals and making sure that our apartment is cleaned or that our laundry is done or anything like that. So, you know, one of the things that you can take off of somebody's plate when they're coming in, because obviously we're turning their lives upside down. They're turning their lives upside down. We're saying, hey, come to us. We promise we're going to take care of you. You know, we're going to take your clothes and put you in scrubs and we're going to ask you all these questions. At least we want it to be a comfortable environment, right? So not like the days of old when I went to treatment where it was very sterile and non-welcoming. You know, this is, you know, in residential facilities, this is going to be their home, right? Mm-hmm. We are going to be their family and we're going to provide that. And so obviously your environment has to be a part of that as well. Yeah. I feel like clinical um, numbers are always a lot less. I think, what is it? Eight drinks for females and 14 for men per week <laughs> is like what what the line is. Or maybe I heard that That's somewhere. like way out. <laughs> That's way out? That's way out. That's way out. (laughs) Way out what? What do you mean? That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. So That's a lot. Like the standard I think is is three drinks for women and four drinks for men. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So So, a lot of people drink more than that. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. And uh, and a lot of people don't also, also don't have problems with alcohol. I think these are, again, it's statistics. You know, these are statistic numbers saying this is what we consider to be binge drinking. This is what we consider to be problem alcoholism. But there's so many other factors that are involved with it. Do I think that those numbers are... Um, are they hard and fast? No. You know, um, right. you could have somebody that, you know, that drinks two glasses of wine every night and does for years and never has an issue because the craving is not there. The brain chemistry is right. not skewed. Right. So, um, again, it's the, the whole biopsychosocial thing. It's not just, okay, well, you know, Rocky, you have, you know, four drinks, you know, three nights a week. You are a straight up alcoholic. That's not the case, right? Again, it depends on, is it impairing your ability to work? Is it impairing your ability to function in society? Is it impairing your ability to take care of yourself? So, you know, I think that, you know, statistics are statistics. They're there for a reason, but they're not the end all be all. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because, you know, when people, um, you know, uh, do... um, when they search on the internet, they read these numbers, they right. can seem alarming. And it's like, yes. oh my God, of course I have an issue. I'm drinking way more than three drinks, you know. But I think that's the lack of control and what you're talking about is right. what differentiates. Yeah. Once you start, you can't stop. That's a problem. And if mm-hmm. that is once every three months and you have a drink, but then you're blacked out for three or four days, that's a problem. Yeah. Does that necessarily fit the three to four drinks a week? Not necessarily, right? But 
you know, if it becomes a problem in your life, then that's where you definitely need to address it. And again, finding more information for yourself and being more mindful and saying, hey, do I need to look at these other areas in my life? If somebody is deep in their substance abuse, how does detox play a part in that? Well, we have medicated assisted treatment. So we do have a detox protocol that we use for clients that are in um, withdrawing from alcohol. So we have an Ativan protocol so we can assist them with medications for comfort. Um, We also do detox for those that are coming in with opiates in their system um, so we can make it more comfortable. The first few days of detox is really just about rest, um, getting your symptoms under control, and then we can start programming after that because we realize, you know, the first few days you're not really receptive to hearing anything. You're not going to retain any education. Um, So it's really about getting the patient comfortable, uh, you know, so they can alleviate those symptoms. And we do that through, you know, medications, you know, bed rest, liquids. And then after, you know, a few days after that, then we reassess and then we can start programming from there. If there's a message to somebody listening who's thinking about going to Gateway or who's thinking they might have to go, if you could just give them kind of a message. Yeah, I would, you know, I would say that recovery is possible, right? Recovery is definitely possible. And there's always a starting point somewhere. But, you know, being able to take a leap of faith or even just, like I said, a fact finding mission that it's possible. There are people there to help you and you're not alone. You are not alone. There are plenty of people that have been in the same position that have taken that step forward to make a phone call, to ask a friend, to ask a coworker or a colleague and say, hey, I need help, right? There is no shame in asking for help because we can't do it alone. And, you know, part of human nature is we want to help other people. And so we have to allow those people in our lives to give us that help sometimes. And it may be hard to ask, but don't let the fear stop you from what could be the most empowering decision that you've ever made, the most life changing decision that you've ever made, that it's one thing at a time, one step at a time, one phone call at a time you know, one text message to to a support system at a time. So don't let the fear of needing treatment, because you don't know until you make the phone call, you may not even need residential treatment, right? Get out and find out, you know, what you need, where where you need the help at, and don't be afraid to ask for it. You're not alone. Recovery is possible.